So I want to set before you tonight a very well-known verse, uh, but I believe it's a verse that's one of the most amazing in Scripture. Uh, It's known to many of you. It's from uh, Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Many years ago, previous generations, they would often have Bible texts up in their home, and this would often be one of those texts. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. The thing that struck me about the verse was there's some deep theology there, because it talks about the eternality of God, and yet there's something very personal there that we may lean on those everlasting arms. Here is Almighty God declaring himself as the eternal God and at the same time saying he can support us in those arms. And that begs a question, doesn't it? Why would anyone not seek to know the God of the Bible? If the eternal God who created all things is declaring himself that he is going to be so personally involved with us that we may rest in the arms of the Lord himself. Well, I want to see what that means for us tonight and and how it should affect our thinking and the way indeed in which we live. Putting the verse into context, uh, Moses' life is drawing to a close. Uh, The Lord told him this in the previous chapters. We read some of it and uh, I couldn't help thinking of some of the starkness of those words where it says there in verse uh, 49, uh, the Lord there speaks to him. And he says, go up to Mount Nebo and die there. Uh, It's kind of of almost an instruction, isn't it? Go up there and die. Uh, But it was was, uh, the the Lord uh, saw him, didn't he, and buried him and did a great work there. Uh, So that was what he was told. So he knew what was going to happen. He knew he wasn't going to enter into the promised land. um, But uh, he was going to see it. And God uses a lovely phrase there for him, describing death. It says he was going to be gathered unto his people. And uh, there's a phrase to get hold of, isn't it? If the Lord was to take us home tonight, would we be gathered unto our people? In other words, we'd be brought home, wouldn't we, to be with the Lord and indeed all of those who have died in Christ. So Moses here, he's, he's been told by God he's going to up Nebo, he's going to die And he pronounces blessings and and has final words to say uh, to the children of Israel. And he goes through each tribe, we didn't read all of those, pronounces these blessings and his final words speak of the greatness of God and uh, the the fact that despite all they'd been through, and don't forget these were troublesome people, Moses had taken a lot of flack during the last uh, 40 years as it were, and he's, but he says, God still cares for you. God is still going to be with you. God is going to take you in to the promised land. And amongst those final words, we find then our text for this evening. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. The first thing I want to leave with you then this evening is this. The eternal God is caring for us. The eternal God is caring for us. As I say, the, the, the verse in question is well known to us and quite often we perhaps uh, think more of those everlasting arms. We don't think of the beginning of the text, the eternal God is thy refuge. God himself, our creator, our redeemer, not only takes an interest uh, in his people, 
But we are, in many ways, the centre of his attention. When you look up into the universe, when you think of, um, is it the Webb telescope that's hurtling uh, billions of miles away, uh, and we get the photos back and we see all these wonderful colours, we see all the, the various stars and galaxies that are out there, God's actually concerned for you and me. That's quite an amazing thing, at least it is to me. And God himself here, through Moses, is drawing attention to himself that he is the eternal God. This is the one who is caring for his people. Paul underlines it in Timothy 1 and 6. He says, God, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach. We could have sung, couldn't we, the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. Can't fully understand that, can we? Well, if you can, you're a better person than me. Uh, my mind begins to struggle when we think of eternity. Perhaps we can conceive and almost understand, um, and I say almost there, how someone in time can go on to eternity. Because if you're a Christian, that's where you're going. We understand we had a beginning, we've been born, and we've been born again by the Spirit of God, and uh, when we die, we're going into eternity. And uh, the scripture tells us that eternity means we shall live with him forever. Can't fully understand it, but we can kind of visualise that. But it's more difficult to visualise someone, namely God alone, who has, I was going to say, an eternal beginning. But if you have a beginning, it can't be eternal. That he dwelt in eternity. He has always been there. There has never been a time, and we run out of words, don't we? They can't use the word time. There's never been where God wasn't. He's always been there. And this is the one who is revealing himself to us now. We know that there was a time when God created. He tells us in scripture how he created and we can work out roughly when he created from the timeline of scripture. But what was God like before he created? And the answer is exactly the same because God never changes. God was just the same in eternity past as he is in time, and as he will be for us in eternity in the future. God dwells in eternity, and kind of time is hanging down here somewhere. This is part of God's creation, that we should be in time. But before creation, I say God was the same. So he was the same in holiness. He was the same in love and mercy. All these attributes that we know about now were there in him in eternity past. That's the one who cares for us. That's amazing, really. God had no need to bring a universe into being. When there was only God, that's all there needed to be. If God needed a universe, if God needed you and me in that sense, then we would have been there from the beginning. But God doesn't need. All God's needs are in himself. And that's how he was in eternity past. God had no need to call anything into existence, whether it be angels or men. And yet, in those eternal ages, God decided to call in existence a people and a universe and all that we see and all that we can't see. He, he decided that, or if I may use the plural because we're revealed in scripture as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God himself in those three persons decided to do this. And not only to create, but to plan redemption. For, for humanity that would fall into the mess, the sinful mess that we would be born into. 
My friends, there is none like unto our God. This is the God who reveals himself, who is caring for us. Well, my Isaiah write that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Isn't that wonderful? We, we know and is revealed to us and we can feel it, I trust, within our souls that the most important being, if I may call him that, is your friend and my friend. Think of all that's going on in the world today. Leaders are making trade deals or trying to. Sadly, there are leaders making battle plans at the moment, whether they're defending or attacking. Celebrities are working out their public relations and, and so much is going on. People are being born and people are dying and the world just continues, doesn't it? But very few have a thought for the fact that there is an eternal God with whom they have to do. And when you think of all that's going on in the world, just stop for a moment and think, what is God doing in the world? What is God doing? No one asks that question, do they? You'll read the newspapers in the morning and it will tell us all things that are happening, etc. Uh, good, but mainly bad. But what is God doing? The God of eternity, who needed to have done nothing, is moving uh, uh, he's moving all things, yes, for his people's good, but he is moving to prepare a place for his people, that there may be a redeemed people with him in glory. Jesus Christ said himself, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. It's a wonderful thing when we think of the greatness of God and then the smallness of what's going on in the world. Isaiah again, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. They are counted as the small dust of the balance. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him as less than nothing. That's amazing. Start off as a drop in a bucket, they turn into dust, then they're nothing, and then they're less than nothing. I'm going to tell that to Mr Putin and some of the others who think they're so big on the stage of the world at the moment. God says you're less than nothing. Our great eternal God works out his eternal degrees and purposes and says the nations are as nothing, but he says my people are precious in my sight. You are more precious to God than the nations of the world. But of course... His eternality that he reveals to us is something that stretches into the future. We think of in a linear way, don't we, for time. Perhaps we ought to think in a, in a circular way. Well, there we are. Let's, let's move on. Now, because the eternal God is our God, let's see what he has done for us. And if you're a Christian, this is what he's done for you. If you're not a Christian, this is what he will do for you, should you... Be given and blessed with those gifts of repentance and faith. Uh, and the first thing we see here, which is my second point, he's made us a special people. Don't always feel very special, do we? But he has. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord. You know, there are not many places in the Bible where we're told we can be happy. Trials, difficulties, there are all sorts of issues, and they're, they're real. God told, teaches us how to cope with those. We were looking at a little bit of that this morning at Louth. But 
Here is one of those instances where the Lord is saying, you know, the people of God, Israel of old, particularly by application to us, we should be a happy people because who is like unto you? There is no one like unto us in that sense if we've come to know the Saviour. In the New Testament, we have similar words where Peter writes and he says, you are a chosen generation. It doesn't mean just today's generation, but the generation of God's people. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special people. I guess some are a bit more peculiar than others, but we're all special. And that's important uh, in the eyes of the Lord. In my daily readings, I've been reading through the book of Genesis and it's amazing there, this is what really struck me, how the eternal God was so concerned with individuals. You know, he'd come down and speak to a handmaid. And obviously he'd speak to other people that were more important, the prophets, etc. But he would come and speak to individuals while the world was just continuing on its way. And he is the same to die. We so easily forget that God is concerned about us as individuals. We do have particular redemption. He came and he died on the cross for us as individuals. It's not just a, a, a universal thing. The Lord Jesus Christ said that his heavenly father is aware of every sparrow that falls. One of the things that mystifies me, and maybe I'm just a bit peculiar here, is that when you see all the birds flying about, you don't very often see a dead one unless the cat got it. So where do dead birds go? I mean, there's millions of them. There ought to be a bird graveyard somewhere or a place where, you know, like the elephants go somewhere to die, the birds go, but you don't see them. But the Lord knows every sparrow's fall. And it says in the same passage that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Amazing. Not only does he possess such intimate knowledge of us, but he's made us sons and daughters of the King Most High. We're ambassadors of heaven whilst we're here. We spoke some months ago from the book of Philippians where it says there that our conversation or our politics are in heaven. Our passport is stamped with the word heaven. That's our home. That's where we're going. That's because we're a special people. It doesn't make us better than others in that sense. We're made a special people. We're declared a special people in Scripture. What else has he done for us? He's made us a people at home. At home. The eternal God is thy refuge. That word refuge there in the original Hebrew means an abode or a home. The people of God are at home with God. He is our shelter. He is our fortress. He is the place where we find comfort and help. Psalm 90, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Whether we, whether we ever think of the Lord being our dwelling place. We know we're not physically at home in heaven, but we are spiritually in Christ. He is our refuge, he is our abiding place. We're at home with him. When we have our quiet time, when we read the scripture, we're in a place of comfort and home and familiarity. What does the hymn say? Where Jesus is, tis heaven there. Tis heaven there. You know, sometimes, more so for some than others, before we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of God made us a bit uncomfortable. 
particularly if we was perhaps in a meeting and we felt people were singing some gospel hymns or, uh, and some hymns with some theology in them, we might feel, well, that's not quite where I am. I, I know I ought to be a Christian, but I'm not a Christian. We weren't at home with God. We might have had respect for him. We might have read the stories of, of the Lord Jesus and we might have believed them, but we weren't at home with him. But when the Spirit began to move in our souls and we began to realise we needed him to be our saviour and we called upon him and at some point he came and revealed himself to us and we were able to look at him on the cross by faith and say my sin was laid upon him, then we were at home with him. We began to agree with the things that he agreed with. We loved the things that he loved. He is our refuge. We are at home in Christ. But then another one here, we're a saved people. Verse 29, happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord. Another verse earlier on, it says, he shall thrust out the enemy before thee and say, destroy them. The Christians had our enemies destroyed. The enemies of sin, death and Satan. They have been defeated on the cross of Calvary. We are a saved people. Saved alone by the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel was saved by the, uh, the Paschal Lamb. And uh, we've been saved by the true Lamb of God. Psalmist says concerning Israel, they were saved with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. The everlasting arms were outstretched for Israel. And my friends, in the New Testament we find whether we're Jew or Gentile, we're saved by the precious blood of Christ with those outstretched arms on the cross of Calvary. Outstretched hands and arms that were wounded for all who will repent and believe. And this is the eternal God. Upon the cross of Calvary, there is the eternal God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the same arms that were outstretched for me. Well might we join then with Israel saying, Happy art thou, O Israel. That should be our greatest joy. You know, how many people of wealth cannot find true joy and happiness? One of the Rockefellers was reputed to have said that he would swap all his wealth to be like he was when he earned three pounds a week. Another, John Astor, a wealthy man in his day, he said, I'm the most miserable man on earth. There is a sense in which they speak for all who know not the Lord. I, I must admit, I had to smile a little bit. It was Mr. Trump who was recently quoted as saying, those who say they can't buy, money can't buy happiness go to the wrong shops. Now, I, I appreciate, if you like, the point he was making, but he don't look very happy to me. Uh, you know, he, he is one of the most miserable people as he goes from one courtroom to another. Whether the Lord allows him to be president or not, I don't know. That's not up to me, and I'm, I'm happy. It's not up to me. But he still thinks money buys happiness. Uh, but as I say, he's finding it, it isn't. My friends, it's the salvation of the Lord. It's being right with God alone is the way to true joy of Scripture. And, and if I may say it, kind of thinking of other scriptures, even when we can't be happy, we can know the joy of the Lord. What else have we got? Can I bring, I'll just bring you, oh no, we've got two more. We are a people 
uh, protected, a protected people. Verse 28, Israel shall dwell in safety. Well, of course, that relates to Israel at that time. You look at Israel today, you think, well, are they dwelling in safety? They were attacked, weren't they? And those arms that protect his people, what would you say if he was in Nigeria and your village had been wiped out by terrorists? You might think, well, are we really protected? My friends, we're protected from the enemy of our souls and we have protection that will keep us 100% sure until the Lord says it's time to come home. When it's time to come home, we will go home. I remember working in Northern Ireland many years ago. A preacher there was being hounded by the IRA and he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because my life will not be taken until the Lord allows it. And if you were here on Tuesday, Richard was talking um, about John Patton and he had the same, same comment, the same quote, that he would not die, he would keep going until the Lord called him home. <coughs> And so we must keep close to him. We are a protected people. We are also a provided people. Verse 28, they were promised a land of corn and wine and heavens would drop down a dew. Well, we're not promised corn and wine, are we? But we've got something more than that. In the New Testament, uh, Paul's writing under the hand of God, the Holy Spirit, and he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, that promises riches in glory. Well, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? What are the riches in glory? Well, they're all the riches that we have in Christ. And uh, the scripture says elsewhere that we have all things, all things in him. Now, I have mentioned this man before, but I remember many years ago down in Essex, and uh, a man who, who had not been to the church for 50 years, and his, uh, his wife, and I thought she was a widow actually, but his wife said, my husband's coming tonight. And I thought, well, that would be a good thing. But he, he did come and he was converted that night. He hadn't been for 50 years. And he was converted that night. And uh, he, he'd come to see this new, what was then, young minister. And uh, he, he came and he found the Lord. Thing is, he was quite elderly and he became the oldest member of the church. And uh, he lived in a very little cottage and it was a village that was very wealthy, lots of big houses. Uh, and at his funeral, I was able to say that we've come to bury one of the richest people in the village. You see, these people in the big houses, they had their houses, they had their cars, they had their bank balances, etc. They didn't have Christ. And, and this man, Vic was his name, he had Christ. And you know, although we've got a lot to look forward to, we're provided for now. One hymn says, I've reached the land of corn and wine. My Saviour walks with me, and sweet communion here have we. He gently leads me by his hand, for this is heaven's borderland. This is a threshold, isn't it? We go from here to glory. We're provided for here. The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are those everlasting arms that carry us now, that supply our needs now, that provide for us now, and will provide for us in the future. And that's really our last point this evening. We are a people with more to come. Israel had the promise of the promised land. They'd got things to come. 
and many of those promises were fulfilled. Not all of them, some have yet to be fulfilled. And as we see the Lord moving in the Middle East, we have to sometimes sit back and say, well, I wonder what the Lord's going to do. But we know this is the moving hand of God. They still have to wait for the fullness of that fulfilment, if you like. And we have the blessings that I've described so far, but it's only for a season, isn't it? The, the hymn writer says, here for a season and then above. There is more to come. We are a people provided with promises of more to come, as Israel were. Then we'll know the full blessings of Calvary. Then we won't need those glasses and hearing aids and sore legs and kidneys and all the other bits and pieces that uh, give us conflict. No, we shall be raised again in that new body. And the book of Revelations, John sees so much there. And there is a sense in which we do not have in this body the full capacity to really know what the Lord's prepared for us. And that's a wonderful thing. The, the most you can think of is small fry to what will happen when we get there. And God describes heaven, doesn't he, like streets of gold and, and pearly gates and all of that. Because that's the best we can think of. The reality of it is going to be far more than that. And so as I've quoted already, the eternal God said, I go to prepare a place for you. And until then, underneath are the everlasting arms. There is a hymn, isn't there? We sometimes sing it at funerals. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Whether we are alive now, and this verse is speaking to the living, but whether we live or whether we die, we're safe in the arms of Jesus. So then, the eternal God has made us a special people, a people at home, a saved people, a protected people, a provided for people, and a people with more to come. Just a little bit of closing application then. Let's be thankful. Let's be a thankful people. God is interested in me. He thought of me as it were on the cross of Calvary. He thought of me before time began and he thinks of me today. He died for me, he cares for us. Him writer says, this is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend. My friends, let's keep close to those arms. I remember when our children were little, not so little now, sometimes you'd pick them up and sometimes they'd wriggle because they didn't want to be picked up. They didn't want to be safe in my arms. They wanted to walk for themselves. And my friends, as Christians, sometimes we can wriggle in the arms of the Lord. We can want to go our own way. My friends, may we never wriggle, as it were, from the arms of the eternal God. We are comforted by the fact that we are safe in his hands. But let's not try to go against his word, to go against those things that we know are pleasing to the Lord. These are nail-pierced hands, and they were pierced for you and me. In the words of the hymn we sang recently on a Tuesday, Oh, for a closer walk with God. And then also, these blessings, my friends, are, are strange to the world, but one day they will know the truth of them. It does not yet appear what we shall be. The world don't recognise us. We're just weirdos who go to church. And as day goes, days go by, we become more weird. We're, we're against the, the psychology of the age. We're against the morality of the age. 
does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our preacher here last week quoted from Revelations 4, where we read, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. John, in that book of Revelation, saw and heard those things of a time that is yet to come, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi that there will come in that time when every knee shall bow, when every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, they're strange to the world now. When you see awful things going on in the world, remember, God will put it right. There is a judgment day coming. And then finally then this evening, in whom do you trust? In whom do you trust today? There is none else that can save. We need those everlasting arms. We need that which the eternal God has provided for us when he came upon this earth. Only those arms can save and keep us. There is no other sacrifice for sin other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, today, whether you're in this building or you're listing online, those arms are outstretched. Those arms that once were outstretched on the cross are now outstretched to receive repenting sinners. May the Lord so comfort us and help us by his spirit. For his name's sake, amen.